I'm going to warn you, I'm kind of an emotional guy. Just one of those things. Um, I don't know what it is. It's, maybe it's my Scotch heritage. Although, you know, think of these warriors with big swords and stuff like that. But we, we do that because we're emotional, because we don't want anybody to make fun of us. So if they make fun of us because we get emotional, we just chop their head off. I'm not going to do that today. I, I, I promise. Um, but I can't promise that I'm not going to choke up a little bit. Because, um, because we have a great God. And this has been a, a weird week. Um, when Jason asked me to, to preach here, gosh, it was a while back ago, um, I knew exactly who I was going to preach on. Because we're talking about these, these unknown stories of grace. And though the person we're going to talk about today, if you have any like church background, you probably know who we're going to talk about. You probably, oh yeah, I know that guy. Um, but I don't, understand, I don't know if you know what a message of grace comes from from this story and uh, and it's not maybe not the person you're thinking it is so uh, so anyway so I'm excited to be up here today um, I, I, I have to make a confession that I had this prepared for a while I was like oh dude I know it I, I, this is what I'm going to talk on this is going to be great and um, I was at a camp for the last couple of days building um a challenge course for a, a group of Armenian Christians and I, I couldn't sleep on Friday night. I stayed the night at this camp and Friday night, I, or Friday, I just could not sleep at all. Maybe it was the heat, maybe it was it was a camp bed. I, I don't know. But I woke up in the morning and I went, this is not the sermon that God wants me to preach today. Not at all. And so I sat down at my laptop and I just started typing away. And so... Hopefully, I won't get distracted, so pray for me. Mark, that's your, that's your task, bro. You're praying that I don't get off task today. And I mean that. So, anyways, as I just mentioned, I am a, if you know me, and some of you do, some of you don't. My name's Jeff, hi. Um, I am a, uh, I'm a I, I, I build zip lines for a living. It's kind of weird, and it sounds cool. But I build challenge courses and zip lines, and I do inspections, and I, I do a lot of stuff. In fact, the majority of what I do for my company is I do inspections. I have to go out to camps and to industrial sites and other things like this that do commercial zip lines, and I inspect their stuff. I make sure their cables are in good condition, and I make sure that they've, they're built the right way and that they've got the right kind of equipment, the equipment's being done right, and their training is correct, so I've got to do all these inspections. And inspections create a heavy amount of paperwork. I hate paperwork. I mean, I... I don't just not like paperwork, I hate paperwork. I did not get into the business of building zip lines and doing this cool stuff to write reports. I hate it. But it's a necessary evil. It's something that I have to do. Because if I don't do it, then my clients don't get their reports. And if my clients don't get their reports, then they can't turn those reports over to their insurance companies and they can't get insurance. And if they can't get insurance, they can't operate. And so it's kind of a big deal. Well, recently, um, just to kind of give you an idea about how much I hate paperwork, um, I had been doing a series of different inspections all over the country. I mean, I've been all over the place. I mean, Jason knows. We talk about the, I'm never around because I'm always flying around to go do an inspection somewhere. And so I had generated something like 15 different reports that needed to be written. And some of these reports are 10 pages long. Some of them are 20 pages long. I had a lot of paperwork to do. And I kept pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off. And it never got any better. So my clients were waiting. 
my company was waiting because if we don't turn in the reports, guess what? We don't get paid. And these, it costs a lot to go have your course inspected. So, so my reports don't come in, they don't get, we don't get paid as a company. And me, I don't get paid either. Because a lot of times when I'm traveling, it's my own gas money that's coming out of my pocket. So it's like I had like $1,500 in gas receipts. My wife's back there shaking her head going, yeah, it was rough. We were ramen for a little while just because I was waiting on the receipts. And you would think that would be incentive enough. But my hatred for paperwork was still enough to where I didn't do my job. I wasn't doing my reports. And so eventually I sat down and I just sort of bit the bullet and just did the thing. And, you know, there's stuff that we have sometimes in our lives where we just don't like it, right? Like we hate it. We just procrastinate. We put it off. We put it off. We know what the result will be if we don't do it. But it doesn't matter because our hatred for those things are greater than maybe the other things that come as a result of that. Right? Today we're going to talk about a guy who, who hated something. Um, we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Jonah. You know, how many of you have heard the story of Jonah? Okay, I first heard about the story of Jonah in this very Bible. This, this exact object in my hands. Okay? And I knew this. This is a children's living Bible. And I think I was like seven. And I remember that... And I probably won't be able to find it because they put the picture in the wrong spot. But um, I remember as a child getting this Bible. And the Bible, what makes this Bible neat is that it's got pictures. Okay? And of course I won't be able to find it now because for whatever reason they put Jonah in the book of Kings or somewhere like that. Well anyways, if I can't find it then I won't hold it up. I couldn't scan it either. So anyways, in here somewhere there is a picture of a guy laying on a beach with a giant sperm whale laying kind of up on the sand with his mouth open going like this. This big smiling Jonah, like big giant whale laying on the beach. And I, and I was struck by it because I thought, that is so cool. Look, he was inside the whale, just like Pinocchio. And I like Pinocchio. So anyways, so I just remember this story of Jonah in this, in this picture and I was struck by his story. And little did I realize later on in life that his story would so closely parallel my own and what I mean by that is that there was, there's something that happened with Jonah that we're going to talk about later that really parallels me. But there was another parallel, and one of the other parallels about Jonah's life was how it paralleled the life of Jesus. And so, in fact, this morning what we're going to do before we get into this is we're going to take a look, not at Jonah's story from the book of Jonah, but we're going to look at Jonah's story from the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 12... And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, about this, this sign of Jonah. It says in verse 38, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, meaning Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now mind you, Jesus has been giving signs all over the place. Healing people, performing miracles, doing all these really amazing supernatural things. But they're like, we want a, we want a sign. We want you to come out and outright say it. You're the Messiah. We want you to do something miraculous. Call fire down from heaven. Do Who knows what they're looking for? Other than an excuse. And Jesus said this, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will stand up at, judge, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Let's pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, right now I just ask that you would open up your word to our eyes, to our hearts. Lord, that the message that comes forward today would not be something from my mind or from uh, a desire to tickle ears or anything along that line, Lord, but it would be straight truth from your word that would cut us, that would cure us, that would move us. Lord, stir our hearts right now and let us be blessed as we bless others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, interesting thing. Jesus shares this story about the comparisons. Jesus was inside the tomb for three days and three nights and was resurrected. And Jonah was inside this great fish for three. For three. Do you guys know the story of Jonah? Some of you are looking at me like going, what's he... Let's talk about, let's, let's look at the story of Jonah for a second. Because Jonah was an interesting guy. So let's open up to Jonah verse 1, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let's kind of look at that. I, I have to say that I admit that, that I oftentimes assume people know about some of the Bible characters. We'll say, yeah, we know Noah, or you know Moses, or you know Abraham. And a lot of times people don't. I, I was a church person. I grew up in the church. And so... These stories were just as familiar as any nursery rhyme or, or song or anything like that growing up. It, cartoons that we might know. This, this was familiar to me. And so, but you may not. So let's, let's find out a little bit about Jonah for a second. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah hears a voice from, from heaven. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go and preach against this city or preach to a city called Nineveh. And it says preach against it. And what that meant was is that Tarsh, or rather Nineveh was not a great place. They had done some pretty crummy things. In fact, crummy doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the surface of the surface of what a lousy place this was. It was evil. And it made, it made good on doing whatever it could to chastise its neighbors, to attack and to raid and to rob. It, just, it was a bad, it's a bad place. Just an, an awful, terrible place. Jonah knew this. God said, I want you to go to preach against the city. And Jonah knew in his heart that the reason why God wanted him to go and preach against the city was because God was concerned about the city. We'll read more about that in just a minute. But Jonah heard what God said, and it wasn't like he didn't want to go to Nineveh because it's hot. It was. It's like in northern Iraq, and it's kind of this deserty place at the time, and you know, no one would probably really want to go there. It's like Vegas, but maybe different. So... So anyways, but not like that. It's still bent on evil, but hot and probably had a pyramid and an obelisk somewhere. Who knows? But anyways, so, so Jonah is told to go to, to Nineveh, and, and he's like, no, I don't want to go to Nineveh. And the reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh is not because it was a bad place. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he really kind of wanted God to destroy Nineveh. He didn't want to warn Nineveh about God's coming wrath. He'd rather see it go down in flames. And so, it's interesting, God called, 
God called um, Jonah to go to Tar- or God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah fled to Tarshish instead. It's interesting that God called Jesus to go to Earth, to leave heaven, to leave this amazing, wonderful place, and go to Earth to come to us, which was not a really great place at the time, sinful and evil and wrong. And instead of fleeing it, because he's the Son of God for crying out loud, he could have easily said, um, "There's got to be something better to do." So no, he went, and he did it unflinchingly. Jonah fleeing to Tarshish meant certain death for Nineveh. Jesus coming from heaven to earth meant certain life for all of us. So, so anyways, so he bails, he goes, you know, um, and he flees the call of God. Um, I wanted to share one other verse here, I almost forgot about it. Just to kind of tell you a little bit more about Jesus and what Jesus was going, was going through Jesus' head, it says this in Philippians 2. It says, Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what, that's what Jesus was facing. The minute he left heaven for earth, he knew that was going to be his fate. And he did it anyways. And that blows me away every time I think about that. Alright, so, so anyways, so Jonah's on the boat. He's heading out of town. He's beating, he's beating it off for uh, heading off to Tarshish. And God doesn't want him to go to Tarshish. God wants him to go to Nineveh. So you know what he does? God brings up a storm. This raging storm goes on. So if we look at, at Jonah, again, Jonah 1, 4 through 6, it says this. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Does this sound familiar to any of you? In, in the Bible, in the, in the New Testament, we find that Jesus is, and, and, and Jesus and his disciples were actually in a similar situation. They, Jesus had preached and they got into a boat and they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee and the storm rises up and Jesus is taking a nap. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's laying down on the ship and he's, he's asleep. He's snoozing through the storm and the disciples come to him and they're like, Dude! They probably didn't say dude. No, they didn't. Do you think they said dude? It says like dude something in Aramaic. Like, I don't, I don't know Aramaic. I don't know Aramaic, so I'll just be, on, I'll be honest. So, so they, you know, they try to wake up Jesus, and Jesus is just like, something's napping. Same thing goes with Jonah. This storm is, I mean, it's breaking up the ship. Think about that for a second. You ever been in a storm that's like, like crazy? You're driving your car down the freeway, and the rain's coming at you like, upside down because it's going so hard and your car's all over the place. Can you imagine trying to sleep through something like that? Well, hopefully not. If you're driving a car, that'd be a bad thing. But here is Jesus, or Jonah rather, is asleep in the boat. And he's not asleep because he's asleep because he's tired. He's asleep because he's avoiding something. I used to suffer, and I'll still kind of align myself with this, from really bad, deep depression as a young man. And I used to go to, to bed and I would sleep for ever. Like, seriously, go to sleep for a long time. 
And it wasn't because I was tired or because I was exhausted. It's because I didn't want to be in the world. I didn't want to have to deal with the junk that I saw around me. Because I was depressed. And that's Jonah. That's Jonah in this moment. At least that's how I see it. I see Jonah down in the ship, not because he's tired or he's weary. It's because he's depressed. Because he knows God is calling him to do something. He doesn't want to do it. And he's broken down and he's feeling it on his heart. So, So Jonah, they wake him up and... You know, they try to wake him up and he doesn't. But, you know, the interesting thing is is in both of these stories from Jesus and from Jonah, Jesus, when he was awoke and stood up, he recognized the power of God, raises his hand, speaks to the storm, and the storm is calmed. Jonah gets up, deals with the storm, and actually tells the, the people on the boat, If you want to get rid of the storm, this is my fault. I'll take blame for it. But you're going to have to throw me overboard. Right? And the thing that I kind of get from this is is that that Jesus understood the power of God to change things. Because he was God. He understood that if he just stood and spoke to the storm and the power of the Lord, the storm would be gone. And it was. And as a result, the disciples' hearts were changed. They were amazed. This man can even speak to the storms... And make them still. How overwhelming is that? Jonah could have done the same thing. In fact, he kind of did, but sort of begrudgingly. They threw him overboard. And as a result, the storm stopped. And we find out that the men actually come to the Lord and says, in fact, if we read here in, the, in verse 11 of Jonah 1, it says this, that the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they ask him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for, hold, for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you've pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Another parallel just comes up. You know, the same, there, was a, there was another man like these sailors that was stuck in a storm, Pontius Pilate. Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate and laid out in front of him and said, here's this man, we want to have him crucified. He's the, he's the reason for all this trouble that you're having here in Judea. And Pontius Pilate said, no, we're going to do this instead. We'll... We'll flog him. That'll make you happy. Nope. Well, we'll do this. Well, no, that'll make him happy. Nope, that ain't going to happen either. What if we exchange this guy for someone else? Well, maybe that'll make you happy. Nope. So Pontius Pilate washed his hands of the whole situation. Same as these guys did. Anyways. You know, it's interesting that to throw him overboard, we knew that this was a certain death sentence for Jonah. He did it to to save the crew, but also to save himself. It was still just another escape from the call of God. Jesus knew that him going to the cross was absolutely, a, or him coming to earth and going to the cross was an absolute death sentence. But he didn't let that stop him. He didn't do it because he wanted to escape. He did it because he loved us that much. As a result, in both situations, lives were changed because people answered the call. So, in the next verse we read, we're going to look at Jonah 1.17 now. It says that after they threw him overboard, Jonah doesn't get to escape. 
Just like with Jesus on the cross, he, the cross wasn't the end of it all. You know, the, the, the Pharisees thought, yeah, he's, we're done with it. Great, cool, he's dead, awesome. Jonah, they're you know, like, hey, okay, the storm's over. He thinks, I'm dead, I'm done, I'm gone. And he's not. He gets swallowed up by a fish. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Just like Jesus. And so we find that he was, while he was there, um, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, he had some time to think about it. Kind of think about what was going on. And we find that Jonah was actually transformed while he was in the fish. And so he actually confessed that he, you know, that, that he would obey, that he would follow what God asked him to do. And, and as a result, we read in, in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 10, that, that eventually he was thrown up onto the, onto the shore. He gets to walk up on the shore. And, and so after he's thrown up on the shore, Jonah takes a walk. He takes a really long walk. Um, because to get from where he was probably spit out to get to Nineveh was probably five, six, seven days. It may have even been longer than that. I mean, the guy's been in a whale. He's probably not trucking down like he's running a marathon, right? He's probably dragging his feet, probably stinks, that sort of thing. So he eventually gets to Nineveh. And when he gets to Nineveh, he's there for three days. It takes him three days. The city's so big, three days to walk around the city. And so as he walks around the city... You know, he, he answers God's call. God says, okay, so you're going to walk around the city for three days. This is what I want you to say. Forty days and Nineveh will be, over, will be overturned. In other words, okay, you guys got, you guys got three, or you got, you know, you got a month, a little over a month. And after a month, you guys are history. You're toast. God's going to lay ruin to your city. Now, I know right now, I gotta, I'm looking around the world and I... I admit that there's part, of, there's part of Jonah in me when I look at our world. There's part of me that just looks around and I go, I just want to tell the world via social media or whatever else that destruction is coming their way. Not in hopes that that's going to make some kind of a change, but to make me feel better about myself. Because there's part of me, there's something deep down inside of me that wants that. You, can you relate? Do you look at some of the stuff that goes on in our world, some of the sinfulness, some of the evil, some of the wickedness, some of this junk that's been going on, and you just feel inside your heart, I just wish it would all just go away. That's the way I feel sometimes. There's a song, I know Ricardo will know this group, by, there's a song by Tool. Okay? I can't remember the name of it, but there's a song by this, by this metal group that I... I'll confess, I, I still listen to my long-haired metal music. But, um, but he's talking about California and about, about all this just stupid stuff that goes on in California and how he wishes that a tidal wave or an earthquake would just cause the whole thing to be cut off from the United States and go into the sea. And there are days where I feel like that. And you know what, I think Jonah felt the same way. He's walking around, and I can imagine Jonah with a smile on his face. Forty days and you will be overthrown. Forty days you will be overthrown because he knows there's no way in, in God's name <laughs> that Nineveh is ever going to repent. They can never turn from their wickedness. There's no way this thing's going to turn around. The only way this is going to get turned around is if it's all flushed down the toilet. That's what Jonah, I can imagine, is thinking at this time. And so he goes and he preaches and the weirdest thing happens. The strangest thing happens. The people hear the message and they're like, dude, 
Well, again, dude, but they spoke Ninevite. Who knows what that even sounds like? But they said, dude, um, we got to change this. And so the word actually gets back to the king. He's the wickedest dude of them all. And he gets back to the king of Nineveh. And he says, okay, everybody, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a fast. No one eats. No one drinks. Not even your cows, not your sheep, not your goats, not your dogs, not your chickens, not your geese. Nothing eats. We're all going to put on sackcloth. And it says that the king immediately got out of his robes. He walks into his chamber, gets out of his robes. He puts on sackcloth, which is this really, it's like burlap, but worse. And he throws this on, and it's, he, the Bible says he sits down in the dust. He just sits down in the dirt in mourning because he recognizes their wickedness and what's going to come as a result of their wickedness. They repent and they're changed. And that blows me away because I know sometimes I look at this world and I think, there is no way on earth, there's no way on earth that, that our situation that we're in today can change. There's no way that the hearts of men and women who have been drawn so deeply into their wickedness could ever turn. I have put a nail in the coffin of America in my mind so many times because I think there's no way for us to turn this sucker around. And the reality is we can't. No government, no agency, no single law, no gun control, no whatever it is that you want to throw at it to make things better, it's not going to happen. The only way it's going to happen is if the people of God listen to what the Word of God has been telling us to do and we go out there and we be salt and the light in the world as we're called to be. It's only through the power of God working in men and women's lives to change our hearts, to make us new. It's really, it's really easy for me to look at this world and go, it ain't going to happen. But God looks at it and says, it's totally possible. It's flipping impossible for a man to be swallowed by a whale and spit up in three days, right? It happened. It's impossible for a man to have been whipped to death and, 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 or whipped and beaten and crowned with thorns and mocked and spit and, and hung on a cross and to die yet rise again from the dead. It's possible. But what it takes is it takes us to believe that we need to no longer ignore God's call. But I'm going to admit, I think sometimes it's because we don't want to hear it because we really kind of want the judgment to come. There's part of me that there's, there's certain communities or certain things that I see and I think, you know... Well, those Muslims, they brought it on themselves. Those homosexuals, you know, they brought it on themselves. Well, that, that community, you know, there's nothing but thieves and robbers in that community. San Bernardino, criminy, they brought it on themselves. Let them have it. And sometimes I think I, I, I have this heart that I, I struggle with because I feel like I'm like Jonah because, because Jonah was, was ticked. The people came back to the Lord and they, and they repented and... and, and and they, they changed their lives. This wickedness had come to an end. And Jonah should be jumping up and down. Yay, they heard my message. And said Jonah, you know what he does? He goes off into a, kind of the spot and kind of, kind of gripes and moans. In fact, let's look at chapter 4, Jonah. I think it's going to come up there in just a minute. And it says, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, But Jonah was seemed, this seemed very wrong, that the people of Nineveh had, had, had been saved. God showed mercy to them. 
It says, but Jonah to this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sinning calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than it is for me to live. I pray we don't get like that. I pray that God converts my heart and changes my heart, but there are days where I do feel that way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? Am I the only one who looks at our our world and looks at our political situation or looks at our situ- the stuff going on around us and just go, <sighs> crud. They just said that Donald Trump came to Christ. That can't be. No, I don't want that to happen. I mean, and, I, and, I, and I'm not, I'm totally apolitical, so I apologize. And I'm just like, but there was part of me that was like, there's no way because the dude is a total tool. I don't want him to be a follower of Jesus. Or if someone came to me and said that Hillary Clinton had decided that she's going to become a sister of charity or a missionary of charity instead of being our presidential nominee, I would go, oh, well, she'd be a crud. I don't want that. I don't want to see. She's, no, she can't be a good person. It just can't happen. Or whatever it might be. I don't... My point being is, is that I, I... There's still part of me that's like, I want justice. Isn't that what we've been seeing this week? That's really what we've been seeing this week. Is that people want justice. And justice... Justice really isn't what we want. Because man, if we get justice... We're toast. You and me are toast. I'm toast. I'll speak for me. For I can't speak for you. But I know for me, if God gives justice to me, I am screwed in the biggest way. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to just share the story and we're, we're going to kind of close here. Um, I told you earlier that my story is kind of like Jonah's. Because there's part of me that feels like I have fled from God my entire life. I've walked as a Christian, no doubt. I love Jesus. I love the church thing. Love singing. It's groovy. Dig it. It's awesome. Love camp life. This Jesus thing is really cool. But sometimes it gets stinking hard. Right? Like sometimes God calls has called me to places and to people where I'm like, I don't dig those people. This ain't cool. I don't I don't like this. Like I've told Jason this, and you've probably heard me say this from up here before, is that I'm I used to refer to myself as a recovering pastor. Jason told me to quit doing that. And I, so I don't. I don't call myself a recovering pastor anymore. But, but the reason why I would say that is because I went through years and years of being a missionary and then I was at a, a, a youth pastor. Then I was a, an associate pastor. Then I was a worship leader for several different churches and organizations. And, and in many cases, I, I, I bailed on them. I left. And in my mind, some of them were legitimate reasons. They were shooting at my family in Mexico, so we left Mexico but that's not the only reason why. I mean, that sound, I mean, we laugh we're like, yeah, that's a good reason, Jeff. It's really not. Because those people that are doing the shooting, that's, that's a violent place. The people getting shot at, that's a violent place. They don't need bulletproof vests. They need Jesus. And I've gone to other churches, and I, I remember being in a church, and it was huge. It's a giant church, huge church, big, giant youth group. It was awesome. But the people weren't like me. They didn't think like me. They weren't like my family. And so I made the excuse, because they're not like me, we're going to have to leave. So we left. 
And I went to go be a school teacher in San Bernardino. And I, and I left because I, I loved the kids and I loved doing what I was doing. But there was something about the community. It was like, I just, they're just not like me. I don't want to be here, God. Why did you send me to San Bernardino? And so that got pulled up too. And, and, and I could go on and on and on. Because I'm look, you know, looking for comfort, looking for peace, looking for something that would satisfy me when really what needs to happen is that the, the message of God needs to go forward. We're sent to places, folks, that are uncomfortable. We're sent to places where life is ugly. We're sent to churches or to communities or to people or to work situations or whatever it is that are ugly and no good and it's really easy for us to go, I want judgment called down on this so that I can be more comfortable. But the reality is there's a reason why we've been sent there. There's a reason why God says that we are salt and light in the world. When you add just a little bit of salt to food, it changes the flavor completely. My wife will tell you this. I, I'm a low-sodium guy. I don't eat a lot of salt. And like she'll eat something and go, there's no salt in this. And I'll go, tastes fine to me. She goes, no, there's, it needs salt. And I'll be like, no, I don't want so, you know, and, it, and it's kind of bland, you're right. But then she'll add some salt to it. And I'm like, dude, this boom, that's it right there. That's what we needed was salt in that ceviche, you know? <laughs> Sorry, ceviche is this thing that's on my mind right now. But the same thing goes with like, with like light. You know, we're called to be light in the world because this is a dark place. And yet we keep trying to act like this city that can have a wall built up around it and a dome over it. And all we're doing is keeping all this light in. This world needs our light right now. You know... In closing, and I'm going to skip over some of the stuff up here. Because I'm going to kind of draw it here. Last week, Tara, you, you said something that, that struck my heart. And that was, you know, God has redeemed us. We're talking about Onesimus, the slave who was redeemed and brought back. That he was worthless at one time and now he's worthy. He has He has value. God has taken something in me and in you that at one point was worthless. It was only good for you and you alone. That was it. God has taken you and He has redeemed you for a reason. It's not just to occupy space. It's not just to warm a pew. It's not just to serve coffee or to, you know, plant trees or care for your children. Those are important things. Don't get me wrong. We've been redeemed for something greater. This world needs to hear the message of deliverance and redemption more than ever before. And we are the vessels that carry it forward. It can be uncomfortable. It can be terribly uncomfortable. But I think sometimes we want our, our comfort and we mourn over the loss of our comfort more than we would mourn over the loss of the souls that are around us. Just as Jonah, and in this story, Jonah, God sent a, a gourd to grow over the top of Jonah and, and, and Jonah was comforted by the shade of this little gourd, a plant, a plant. He was comforted. And the next day God sent a worm and, and chewed on the thing and the gourd died. And so then he's sitting in the sun and Jonah was just super ticked. And God looked at him and said, Look, Jonah, you're, you're mad right now. You're mad because this, this little gourd, this little temporary thing is gone from you. Your comfort is away. 
Yet you wouldn't mourn for the 90 or 100 or however, I can't remember how many number I should have remembered this, the number of the hundreds of thousands of people that lived in Nineveh. You wouldn't mourn over the loss of that? Do we mourn over the loss of lives? Absolutely we mourn over the loss of lives. But do we mourn over the souls that every single day have made the choice that they'd rather be in hell than with, with, with Christ in heaven? And we're the ones that carry that message. Nineveh would have been destroyed if Jonah hadn't reluctantly gone and obeyed God. What if we just celebratorily went out and answered the call of God to share with our neighbors, with our family members, with our co-workers, with our church, with our community? It's not going to happen any other way. It's not going to happen through some cute social media post and meme. It's not going to happen that way. We need to go out and be that salt and the light of the world. For me, for me, I, I have struggled for the last few years. I mean, really struggled. Because I feel like I haven't answered God's call. This is why I, I've called myself a recovering pastor. Because there's part of me that so desperately knows what I need to do, but so desperately needs to pay the bills. You know? But I so desperately want to, to be salt and light in the world, but I don't want to offend anybody. Because I, I don't want to make anybody, you know, feel bad about themselves. And sometimes I feel like Jonah, where it says in Jonah 2, it says this. It says, while he was inside the, the, the fish, it says he had this prayer. And, and this prayer is a prayer that I pray often. Because this is how sometimes I feel. It says, in my distress I called the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath me barred me in forever. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you've got seaweed tied around your neck? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna close with this. This prayer that Jonah's praying, I feel all the time because there are days where I feel like I'm just being restricted. I can't move forward in life. Do you ever feel like you can't move forward in life? Like you're looking for satisfaction, you're looking for something, but like Bono used to sing... I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Maybe that's because you're not hearing the call. Maybe it's because there's not obedience. Maybe, maybe the, the thing is you're not moving forward is because God's called you to Nineveh and you keep wanting to go to Tarshish. Maybe it's because you want to satisfy self instead of satisfying what God wants you to do. Maybe there's no peace in you because... Because you're looking for comfort over salvation. You know, maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe, maybe this is the time. Maybe you feel like you're trapped sometimes. You're like, yeah, I just, I keep trying to do this. I, you know, I've tried this and I've tried this and I've tried this and I'm just not finding satisfaction. Well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is that the satisfaction you're looking for is found only in Christ. Maybe today's the day that you do that. Maybe today is the day you answer that call. Maybe today is the day where you listen to Jesus and say, you know, I feel it. There's a reason why I'm here. 
Maybe this is the day that you get vomited up out of your whale. So my prayer today is that, in, in, some of you guys know me, I'm usually a pretty light-hearted guy, but, but I really feel like today was the message that we needed to hear and, and the message that God put on my heart because I, I feel like we're in a place and a time and right now where, where we got to get on the ball. We got to get up. We got to get out. We got to move away from this building. We need to move away from our comfort and start really doing what God has called us to do. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not always going to be pretty. The people who we think are completely lost and who we've abandoned to the side of the road, God still wants them. God still wants them. In fact, I think it's beautiful that Jesus says this, and I'm going to close on this verse. It says this, that Jesus said in Luke 15, and I, I don't know if you can get it up there quick. I know it's one of those slides. But Luke 15 says this. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose you had a hundred sheep and lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then he finds it. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. And this is where the verse starts. It says, I tell you this, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Heaven is rejoicing right now because sinners are coming to know Christ. Heaven just rejoices when we answer the call to go and do and be in our community. Enough with words. Let's go do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I love you. And I feel unworthy sometimes. I feel that the task in front of us is impossible. I feel sometimes that I just... I don't know. And then I remember the power of your grace. The grace that you had for the Ninevites. The grace that you had for the prostitutes. The grace that you had for a tax collector. The grace that you had for a, an honorary fisherman. The power to overcome death. And the sacrifice you made for us, Lord. Lord, you didn't come to condemn us as your word says. You came to save us. And Lord, may we just be a part of that. May we just share your word. Share that message. A message of hope, of love, of beauty for a world that is so dark right now. Go before us, Lord, and prepare the way. And we, may we just follow closely. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers, if you guys can come forward.